You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 595, a journey through the New York City music scene of the early 2000s, famous people being stroppy, and the return of the goths. That's all coming up after the Ting Tings, and that's not my name. The last entry on their website was 2019, which indicates they're on a hiatus, I guess. Mm. Um, This was from Busier Times, number one in the UK and 39 on Billboard. The Ting Tings and from 2008, the Splendid, that's not my name. They were enormous very briefly, weren't they? That song was absolutely everywhere. I was a trading sister when that came out. And everywhere you went, you would just hear it. The equally good Shut Up and Let Me Go you used to hear a lot yeah. as well, which I very much like. But it's 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 a, a very, it's quite a reverent record, isn't it? But it really sort of grabs you by by the throat. And the fact is that it's about, it's it's quite a serious record in its own way. It's just a woman that's really annoyed that no one ever shows her any respect. And as someone that is frequently called Julie Judith, um, Julia, Julian, and one very unfortunate occasion, I, I very much sympathise with the uh, spirit of that's not my name. 
Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 595. I'm Terence Stackham. And uh, in the news today, uh, the BBC report that Rupert Murdoch is set to marry for the fifth time, aged 92. Who's the lucky woman? <laughs> is it you, Juliet Harris? And <laughs> you know, this is the most objectionable of these you've thrown at me yet, I must say. And that's really quite a cavalcade. Oh, of I just nonsense. wondered. I was thinking, yes, I, I dare say you did, Sir Terence. Mm. Um, I, I, I was thinking earlier on, I've had quite a few adventures in my life. And yeah, I've never had so many adventures as I do in the opening 30 seconds <laughs> of this podcast every week. It's like sort of Mr. Ben, who will I appear as this week? Um, not marrying Rupert oh. Murdoch. I'm sure he's devastated. But uh, in the, in the, although it does, doesn't make me laugh. I forgot how old he was. So they said, oh, he's marrying a younger woman. I know, he's Mr. That, Burns, isn't he? He really he is. Is. He's married. Monty is marrying a younger woman, but she's 66 because oh, such no. is his age that he's marrying a woman that's 28, you know, 26 years younger than him. Yes. And she's 66. <laughs> I mean, you know, every respect to her. I wish her every happiness, yes. but still, yes. it's, it's, it's all a bit. And also, why, if you were married to Jerry Hall, why would you not just stay married to Jerry? Well, Hall? My view, I'm afraid. But anyway, good, good, good. Hello. Good evening. Good everything to everyone. Good luck to Rupert Murdoch, or more likely, as we, as you say, more good luck to Anne Leslie Smith, his his new fiance. Yes, indeed. Um, I've generally thought that the rebirth or reboot of the New York rock music world mm. of the late 1990s and 2000s was a bit of a replay of the London mm. punk situation in the late mm. 70s, more or less for those who were too young for the first time around yes. the carousel. Well, we are all able to examine that in more detail because this week saw the release of Meet Me in the Bathroom, a movie length documentary looking at the rise of bands like The Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's LCD sound system. Um, considering that the world of smartphones and everyone walking around with a camera in their pocket was more than a decade away, it was incredibly fortunate for this documentary that a movie camera seemed to be omnipresent mm. to capture the leading bands, whether in New York or in London mm. and indeed around the UK. Uh, the Strokes in particular had way more success over here. Jules, this movie doesn't stint for detail. Um, does Meet Me in the Bathroom illuminate and illustrate New York music from the millennium? Yes, I mean, I have to say, firstly, this is based on a book called Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is like an oral history, which I've bought but yet to read. So um, so I can't tell you if it's better than the book or not, but uh, that's just sort of factual info for people. I well, So I particularly enjoyed this documentary because you're very right of somewhat wounding to say that the New York punk, the New York rock scene was, was for the punk scene for those yeah. of us that weren't old enough at the time because I loved all these bands. And so bear in mind I was 17 when the Strokes first album came out in 2001 and I could have watched another two or three hours of this city oh, just yeah. because I just I loved all of those bands I couldn't go to the Strokes show at the Free Bus in Brighton because I was a bit too young and had an exam and my parents thought better of it um, I, I it's just so it was so really evocative to me to see all this footage and realising how much I loved all these bands. I saw Interpol on the Enemy New Bands tour in whenever it was, 2002, I think. Um, and I stood right down the front and I remember seeing Carlos and his suit and his bass and thinking they were just so incredibly cool. Um, I remember buying the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's EP, the first EP before the album, the day it came out, because I'd heard it playing in a pub and just had to, I just had to have it. I, I, I loved all those bands. I can still remember sitting one of my first year exams and the only thing that I have running through my brain, as well as writing down the, the, the answers, was Rich by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, which was taken from their first full album which i bought from sound clash in norwich the week before to see all this like you said it's amazing mm. video camera footage of all of these bands i'd forgotten all about the moldy peaches and how completely chaotic they were um and just uh, who went on to have a surprising amount of success you, they were on the soundtrack to juno if i remember correctly so I had a bit of a sort of a second wind of being a being a kind of a cult concern um it, I, I liked the fact, and we talk, I go back and forth, City, on whether or not I want documentaries mm. to have a narration or not. Um, 
We've seen a lot of these documentaries over the last couple of years. And actually, I liked the fact it didn't have narration on it. I complained the other week that there was too much information being thrown at me during mm. the Simon and Garfunkel thing. I liked this. I mean, it was a little bit self-consciously arty in places, but I thought it showed the flux into which everybody was thrown by the 9-11 attacks very well. Some of the footage of that was really sort of moving. And... I loved seeing the camera footage of these bands. Uh, uh, perhaps as well, it showed well. I mean, I was a 17-year-old, you know, random teenager in Hastings, and I loved all of these New York music because we all took them to our hearts. This was the very, this was the probably the last time that the enemy was truly relevant in 2001, and they went big on the strokes. They were, because they looked like, as someone said in this documentary, they were a band from the very first second that they formed. They just looked perfect and just sounded so good they did simple things very well i think i must have listened to the strokes first album more often than i ate meals when i was a teenager it was just <laughs> constantly on all the time and every time every time i never know what to listen to i always listen to that because i just it's just but you know it's, it's wallpaper to me i love it so much so so it was wonderful to see all these bands to see how they were sort of how they were adopted really by english teenagers i remember there was a huge piece on them in the face which was just about still going at that time as well um i've always liked the aes a great deal i thought karen o came across particularly well in this i loved the uh, i loved the interviews with her where she started off as this kind of shy teenager and next thing you know she you know this, this sort of mixed race outcast and next thing you know she's throwing four margaritas down her neck and belting out some songs with the yeah yeah yes it was it was then you had james murphy and david holmes my pal from the other week who dj'd people Jeez. will remember me talking about that a very young looking david holmes it has to be said um uh, sort of 22 years ago him and James Murphy doing the LCD album I loved this because it happened to cover a lot of music that I really liked and it was just lovely to see a load of footage like you say video camera footage that probably hasn't really been shown before to a, to a great extent mm. and of course you had sort of N sort of MTV interviews over cut over, over the top of them and stuff TV on the radio I've never seen them interviewed at length before it was great it summed up in music music that really was quite an integral part of my youth as someone that loved Britpop but sort of listened to it whilst doing their homework in their bedroom this was a great kind of um this was a great this was a great time for me that period of time where I was just about old enough to go out and listen to this music and I just loved it so actually I, I can't really critically evaluate whether this was well made or not because I just loved seeing a load of footage and hearing a load of bands that I really liked <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> I can't say any more than that, really. I thought this this movie was as much a tribute to New York City itself as it is to the music scene. It was Very lovely true. to see that the yellow taxis, the stores, yes. the streets of Brooklyn and Manhattan yeah, in the in the late nineties and so on. One of the interesting uh, parts, uh, maybe even you could say it's an issue with this documentary, mm. uh, not not units. It's the often repeated one in similar films, is that young bands just starting out are so often a mixture between being tongue-tied when faced with a camera yes. or showing off in a silly unhelpful yes. way and i thought julian casablanca of the strokes managed to combine both categories yes he did <laughs> I, I, I don't mean now but back then he just yes. came across as a bit of a twit i'm afraid in he some did. of these uh, although um, what's so interesting about the strokes sorry to cut across you no, briefly no. but it's worth making this point is they've always had this ability to kind of capture the zeitgeist without really meaning to and not done any better than when they dropped a surprise new album and i think it was april 2020 quite early on in mm. lockdown that had previously been made that happened to be called the new abnormal and and it just it they always have this habit of just kind of wandering in at the right moment, and it was a great return to form. Yeah, you, men you mentioned Carano of the yeah yeah yes, mm. and that's reminded me that it was um, horrible looking back and recalling the dismal treatment by the press and uh, particularly mm. in interviews of her, um, the the really sort of rather sexist yes. kind of treatment, and it harked back again to me to the late seventies. It echoed the experience of mm. Susie Sue, Viv Albertina, amongst many Absolutely. others. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. One of the most compelling moments in this film, it happened quite early on when suddenly 9-11 happens mm. and the footage, oh gosh, I felt the same as you. It, you know, I've seen so many doc documentaries on 9-11 and so much footage and yet it still shocks to this day when you suddenly see uh, that, that, that footage again. And I've, 
I felt um, that part of the movie could have been perhaps hand, I don't know, maybe handled with a bit more sensitivity as it mm. was really only referred to 9-11 in reference to the New York musicians. And I felt that was you know, just a little bit trivialized. Yeah, it, was, it, then, it was a it was a little bit it was a little bit sort of shoehorned in. I think yes, it just kind of came it, it yeah. floated in and then floated out again. And <laughs> yes, you just think, did. well, did we did we re-, you know, it wasn't even like the film went on to say, oh, well, the, the scene was changed. They did make a token effort of saying that it did kind of tip everybody mm. into this sort of partying but they seem to be doing that anyway so so yeah that was that was a slightly curious note it felt like they were reaching for a seriousness which perhaps wasn't really there yes very well put but i think it is a very interesting movie stroke documentary Mm. but i think you would like yourself probably need to have a genuine interest or passion in the bands in that era to enjoy the whole one hour and 47 minutes of it yeah and I it's think interesting to hear you say oh you could have watched you know two or three times as much that's lovely yeah, exactly. to hear so well, i think but, that would encourage people well i hope so it was my time i think you you put that so well i think if you really like these bands then it's lovely to watch that footage of them to watch paul banks very cool banks from interpol struggling with an acoustic guitar in front of an audience and some open yeah. mic that keep interrupting him is um it's great. I, I you know, I, there's much to, if you like that sort of thing, as Sir T rightly says, and there's much to like here. So this is Meet Me in the Bathroom. It's released in selected cinemas this week and online streaming services. But as ever, um, I found by seeing where it's on, where and whatever, um, the, the answer really is to Google for information for your country or your region because it's different mm. to where it's on. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Coming next, famous people being stroppy. (laughs) (laughs) That's right after Half Man, Half Biscuit. What possessed you to apply? Did your friends with good advice implode? We should hang you up in chains, let you rot beside the ill-paid road.
result of which is incredibly obnoxious in the shouting at people on television and radio who do not know anything. That song could have been made for me. It's an absolute delight. The excellent Half Man, Half Biscuit and Nobeds on Quiz Shows. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard that before. I love the, <laughs> the lyrics. I really do. And, and, um, the, the, for anybody that goes on Popmaster and when presented with a song from 1983 <laughs> says, oh, it was before my time, Ken. Oh, or Gar- oh, No, it's still Ken, isn't it? It's just Ken somewhere else. But yeah. yes, I am. Um, I find that vexing. Never let you down, half man, half biscuit. That's no, my, uh, they're, they're always absolutely. They're always they're always there. And anybody that calls their album CSI Ambleside is always all right <laughs> by me, as far as I'm concerned. I'd also commend to the house Tommy Walsh's Eco House. I'm a big fan of that as well. Um, it was the Oscars last weekend, and as usual, a clip goes viral. Last year, um, as we know, it was Will Smith biffing Chris Rock. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, this year, there was no physical violence, but the clip that gained the most attention <laughs> was when the ABC presenter, Ashley Graham, attempted to interview Hugh Grant on the red carpet, and he answered her questions with a mixture of pretend confusion and outright contempt. And the Washington Post uh, this week ran the headline... Is Hugh Grant rude or just British? To which, of course, the answer is both. Both. Um, Yes. I I just don't understand people who behave in this way. You know that if you're famous and you're going to the Oscars or any similar red carpet event, you're bound to be asked lightweight questions about your latest movie and who made your dress or your suit or whatever. If you don't like the idea of that, don't go. It's a simple answer. I have some experience uh, of working with Hugh Grant. Back in 2015, I worked on the movie Florence Foster Jenkins. I can happily say that Meryl Streep was an absolute joy. Well, that is that's very reassuring to hear. I would have been heartbroken if she'd been she'd been she unpleasant. She was lovely and pleasant to everyone, whether that's they were really her co-stars nice. or the catering crew. She that's was really grand. Meryl. She was wonderful. Hugh Grant was grumpy, taciturn, and gave the impression he would rather have been anywhere else in the world than um, filming Florence Foster Jenkins. This week, the Daily Mail in the UK ran a story about the stroppiest stars in showbiz. (laughs) Richard Madeley said that the aforementioned Chris Rock was the rudest star he's ever met. Mm. James Corden nominated Pierce uh, Brosnan. Mm. Interestingly, Jon Stewart nominated Hugh Grant after he was rude to backstage staff on The Daily Show. He's really got form, hasn't he? Yes. Bit of a pattern there. Um. Have you ever come across a stroppy star? I haven't come across necessarily a stroppy star, but someone who was rather underwhelming and a little bit dismissive, I regret to inform you. It might have been I was just an overexcitable teenager. This is quite possible. But um, we used to have a big literary festival at my university, UEA, where... All of the literary great and good would usually come to speak. And UEA sort of world-class creative writing school there with those degrees. Yes, famously so. And I was very excited to get tickets to see one of my literary heroes. Bear in mind, I was a sort of gay teenager dealing with that. I got tickets to see Jeanette Winterson speak. And then you could go to a book. I'm sorry. Go to a book signing afterwards. And so I bought her latest book, which was lighthouse keeping i want to say it's called and a copy of origins not the only food and i dutifully dutifully queued up and was very excited to meet her and she couldn't get people away from the table quick enough she she was not um i don't want to say unpleasant but she just wasn't didn't she interact or well you I, I said something to her about sort of how time had passed and she sort of said oh well that, you know that's how it goes and then just signed the books and sort of i was ushered away and she mm. didn't really want to. and i feel like saying yes i know it's annoying when you've got a queue of 50 people and you're signing books mm. but you don't have to say much you don't have to engage very much but just a bit would be good and whilst i am delighted to have a copy of oranges are not the only fruit made out to me personally mm. it is that the, the, the delight was rather taken off of it by her slightly just dis- i felt she was slightly dismissive it might well be that I was just annoying. I don't mm. know. If you're listening, Jeanette, please do get in touch. But um, but yeah, so so they do say never meet your heroes. And I think that yes. perhaps 
that maybe I was guilty of making her out to be something she wasn't in my in my head. I don't know. Having said that, I once queued behind Griff Reese Jones to buy cheese at a farmer's market, and he was very nice to everybody. So I think it is possible to be a pleasant <laughs> person. But um, like you say, um, you know, maybe some people are just rude. She wasn't rude particularly. She no, just wasn't as friendly. You know, but, yeah, yes, a little bit. Yes. I've, I've met quite a number of famous people in my time, and oh. most people are okay, and some mm. are very decent indeed. Just mentioned Meryl Streep, of course, but a couple stand stand out to me for overwhelming rudeness. And mm. um, before he hit higher fame with the the Blockheads, Ian Dury mm. was in a pub rock band called Kilburn, Kilburn and the High Roads. Yeah, exactly. And the agency and record company that I worked for, I was 18 or 19, um, handled their live bookings. And I was the unfortunate soul that looked after live appearances for Ian Dury mm. and Kilburn and the High Roads. And rather like the fall, the Kilburns had an ever changing lineup mm. because Dury fell out with people in turn. With everybody. But yeah. I just found him such an incredible incredibly awkward character he just Mm. moaned and moaned about everything every gig was on the wrong date at the wrong place for the wrong money Mm. just about and i'm sorry to say this because he's no longer with us but the most disagreeable churlish and unkind person probably i've ever met in life well that's that's interesting and disappointing to know because his daughter jemima is a friend of mine and she is an absolute she's a delight she's a Mm. very nice person having said that i think she is don't tell her to listen to this uh, i won't but i think but then having said that i have spoken to jemima previously about sort of things in Mm. in the past and i think she would be the first to admit to anybody that he wasn't always the easiest of characters shall we say or the easiest of fathers necessarily although having said that we all experience people in different ways don't they but jemima Mm. is a credit to him and a credit to anyone i would say well that's good to know i mean no surprise also my my final nominee is van morrison there's a shock Mm. um i was with lovely joe good now of bbc london Mm. and then bbc radio sussex back at this time and she was comparing a concert at petworth park Mm. um down towards your uh neck of the woods yes that's that's sort of our way yes June the 25th, 2005, I checked in my diary. Um, it was this gig at uh, Petworth Park. Van was loitering in the wings and I was standing next to Joe and she asked him, uh, she was comparing, as I say, um, mm. Joe asked him how he wanted to be introduced. And Van was wearing shades, um, much much smaller fellow than I, I thought. Mm. But anyway, he just sort of shrugged. And muttered something like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, mm. what, what are you bothering me for, something. So Joe goes on to the stage and reminds everybody to put their rubbish in the bins and have a safe journey home. Yes, indeed. And then she says, ladies and gentlemen, Van Morrison. And as she comes off stage, Van towers over her, because Joe's only about Yeah, she's not big, is she? Yeah. Yeah. And um, he bellowed into her face why didn't you mention my band and oh for um, goodness sake then stomped onto the stage gave a totally stroppy performance with barely a word to the audience so that was the lovely van morrison and joe still talks about that to this day i'm not surprised and i'm not surprised (laughs) by any of that frankly and i remember a friend of mine saying once that they had a friend that wanted to work in the biz and had some sort of role probably not dissimilar to yourself sort of when you remember you talking about the chuck berry tour that you unfortunately Oh experience God, once yes. as a sort of an a, a, without showing you any disrespect sort of an underling style role and they mm, had they yes. had an underling style role and they they said you know they only ever <laughs> so <laughs> their first tour of showbiz they're like well try it out but they, they were told well, famous people aren't always very easy to deal with mm. but why don't you try it out so the first tour they ever did was with tom jones and he was lovely a very nice man to work with very welcoming very kind they liked him very professional they liked he turned up on time they liked working with tom jones very much so that was their first tour that they worked on their first experience in showbiz their second tour was with van morrison they did two tours in total (laughs) so uh, so yes they 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 were unprepared for the van morrison experience because tom jones we can add him to our goodness he was a delight apparently so but yes rather unfortunate when you've had a lovely time then your second assignment is with van morrison who i cannot stand i must say i am yeah it's not a huge fan of van the man no coming right up 
Mark Boland's poetry and the return of goths. Mm. That's next after... Um, well, well, this is from a forgotten supergroup mm. featuring Jerry Beckley of America, Robert Lamb of Chicago and the heavenly Carl Wilson together as Beckley Lamb Wilson. Days when the sun is so clear and bright A dream that's as real as the stars in the night I wish for you always A heart that can heal when you love in vain A friend who can hold you through all of the pain I wish for you always Wish you hope through your share of tears I wish you all your living years But when the moon is high I'll wish you a 10-song collection on an album of original songs and was the last work Carl Wilson recorded. Um, because of their conflicting schedules, it took a total mm-hmm. of eight years to get together at various times to complete the songs. The album disappeared without trace, despite these three wonderful voices from 2000 and the album Like a Brother, that was Beckley, Lamb, Wilson and I Wish For You. Like I did, like you say, I was completely unfamiliar with that. I didn't know anything about it at all, and I really liked it. I thought it was lovely. I was very keen on that. Thank you, as always, for the intro. <laughs> and naturally, of course, that was Carl Wilson on lead vocal yes, on that track, of as one could hear. Occasionally, we like to have a quick look at what happened this week in history. Mm. And I just wouldn't want it to pass you by. This week in 1969, Mark Bolan published his first book of poetry, The Warlock of Love. I mean, that is largely, if you'd asked me to put into a random title generator (laughs) what that would be called, I'm not awfully surprised that his book of poetry was entitled The Warlock of Love. 12 and 6, 12 shillings and sixpence. Um, Incidentally, it's currently on sale. That's 12 and sixpence is, I don't know, about 60, 65p or something. Yes. It's currently on sale. A copy is currently on sale at Sutheran's Antiquarian Booksellers Mm, in London. That's a clue. £4,995. That's a lot more than than 65p, isn't it? That's a lot of money. It is signed by Mark Bolin, hence. Ah, I I see. see. Uh, The book itself 
it, it's a bit underwhelming. It has 63 pages. Mm, that's not and... a lot of pages. That's, that's, I don't know how much that is. That's money per page. <laughs> I think it's, it's grand, about, yeah. It's, yeah, I was going to say, it's it's about £800 pounds a page, oh, isn't it? God. Um, I need your help, Jules, and listeners, Uh-oh. because okay. I'm not sure if this is really good or really terrible. I mean, it might uh, be both. It might be so terrible it's great. Because things be interested do do that in your sometimes. view. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read right. you one of the featured poems. I'm it's, gripping the desk in anticipation. I'm ready. You'll be delighted to know it's only eight lines long. So I mean, that, that's helpful, I think. Brevity yeah. is the soul of wit. Well done, Mark. The Purple Prince of Pleasure is the title. Oh, of... this is not this is not filling me with, with hope. This oh, is Lord. filling me with a great deal of worry. But go on. Here we go. I've changed many faces, I've acted many scenes, been the delicate silk hoodlum of several babies' dreams. Oh, God. As I step up to your doorway, Uh. listen hard to the sound, I'm the purple prince of pleasure with his leisure unbound. I mean, you gave that more gravitar in your reading than it really did deserve. You are the Olivier of this podcast and always will be. You are the Rich Burton of uh, of the uh, of the current affairs slash media slash light tune podcast. I mean, I mean, the problem is I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And the thing is, is that. I, part of me in my soul really wants to like poetry, and particularly performance poetry. Actually, mm. my main objection to poetry is having it performed to me. I, 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 not then. That was obviously you did the best of a bad job there. But, but my biggest <laughs> protest is, you know, when they have like poetry slams and like oh, coffee my life. shop things. Oh. And I remember seeing a the thing that made me laugh the most on Twitter years ago was somebody posted a picture of like a staircase in a coffee shop somewhere, and there was a sign halfway up the stairs saying poetry upstairs and they post it with the caption goes downstairs and that's <laughs> largely how I feel about performance poetry I don't mind reading some poetry at my leisure some of it's very good I don't think I'd class that as very good I must say would it have been published if he was not Mark Bolan having said that the hollow of the hand which is PJ Harvey's poems I very much enjoyed there are some poetry writing by pop stars particularly mm. that's really good and we've spoken previously on this podcast about lyrics and some lyrics do stand up to being published yes, as books of poetry and some don't and to be to be fair to T-Rex who are in many ways an excellent band led by Mark Boland they were never necessarily the deepest of bands were they I mean no. Ride the White Swan is a wonderful record yes. but I have no desire to read the words typed mm. out because it's it's not they, they were never they, they never necessarily went for that much depth did they but they were brilliant girl I'm just kids. a jeepster for your love indeed I mean she's even my then... woman of gold and she's not very old ha 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 <laughs> Indeed. Wow. I mean, it's a thank goodness that we had you as Simon Callow to read that. <laughs> Simon Callow was made to read something on Today the other day. It was he had to read a sonnet that are written by Chat GPT, I think, and did his best to imbue, imbue it with a gravitar that it did not have. And you've very much done the same there. I'm not sure that I'm going to be breaking my piggy bank for £4,868, oh, whatever it was. I'm sorry to hear it. I mean, I've got to be honest. I'll let the that, antiquarian booksellers know. I think so. On that evidence, I'm not sure I'd shout out 65p, but maybe that is just me being cruel. I don't know. I mean, luckily, Mark had other talents. Yes. I rather like the clothes uh, your steampunk people wear. Oh, and yes. if I was younger and bolder, I suspect I would go for that look. And yes. I've always rather liked the goth look, but mm. again, never really styled myself as a rather chubbier Robert Smith. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a new exhibition in Berwick Street in Soho. Mm remembering the 80s goths um, nightclub the bat cave mm. and to indicate that goths are back 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 but yes, uh, i didn't know that they, they they've gone away um there are two books on the subject out soon mm. john robs the art of darkness and kathy unsworth's season of the witch the Book of Goth. I mean, now, great titles, both of them, I think. Are. And yeah. also, I, I'm not so familiar with Cathy Unsworth, but I have a lot of time for John Robb. I like mm. the publications he's been involved in, sort of editing and writing. I met him very briefly once, and he was lovely. Um, he often comes down to Hastings to watch the live music scenes that we have here. They're sort of fat Tuesday, and so he's a big supporter. So I very much approve of John Robb in general, so I will look forward to reading that. thing is, Jules, 
I could mm. genuinely see you with the white face makeup <laughs> and berserk hair. Is there any chance at all of you coming out as a goth? Well, I mean, so I was friends with it. So you say goth never went away. Mm. Again, we, we hark back to my sixth form years, which was sort of 2000, 2002. I was friends with a lot of goths. There were, there were lots of them around. Mm. There were lots of goth adjacent scenes as well. So there were grungers. It was very much the age of new metal. Um, I, I was sort of vaguely grunge adjacent, I suppose. But I never, I went for the flannel shirts, but I never quite went full goth, really. Oh, dear. Um, this is I'm disappointing. Not, I know, and I, I, I've always liked the music of the goths very much. Never quite feeling a compulsion to have wild hair and painting myself, but it just felt like too much effort, Satie. Just you oh, know, the good thing about you buy the good thing about being a grunger was you bought a, a two-pound shirt from the army surplus shop in Hastings, the trading post, RIP, um, and and then you would and then you would just you know go to things, and it was it was low effort, it was low intensity. I very much admired my almost always quite dramatic friends lots of them were drama students it has to be said uh, my my goth friends the music is fabulous i mean and i i very much lent on it for um for my halloween show that i did during lockdown to play the full nine and a half minutes of bella lugosi's dead by bauhaus which is possibly for me the ultimate goth record um i love its kind of playful sense of humor i love the theatrics of it um there were some really great records uh susie sue of susie and the banshees headlining latitude this year so like isn't she saying, yeah never never got a, the cure selling out wembley for three nights um uh, you know and, and still sounding great at glass about three or four years ago um you know, they made some fantastic records. Also, one of the best bands to come out of Sussex from Crawley were uh, were good old uh, good old The Cure. So, mm. yeah, I I never felt the need to be a goth particularly. But having said that, particularly as time's gone on, I very it's much never too late. Music. Well, I mean, it is though, really, isn't it? So oh. I own too many football shirts to embrace that as a lifestyle now. I think, but um, no, big fan of of the gothness in general. Um, it makes me think as well the celebration of the Batcave. Makes me just think there was a lovely piece also on my The Guardian today by John Harris about the decline of nightclubs and pl- places that people oh, right. congregate and not and dancing. I also hadn't realised um, it's um, they make this article makes it in The Guardian um, that's by Sylvia Patterson, who I like very much, by the way, who who wrote an excellent book called I'm Not With The Band that I did at my rock and roll book club that we enjoyed a great deal. Um, we did invite her to speak and she said that she, she always found speaking to book clubs a bit intense, but was delighted, genuinely delighted to see the photographs of us all waving her book in the pub at the book club. She was very pleasant. So uh, fair play to, to Sylvia. But um, but yeah, I, she makes the point in this article well, I think, that um, the goth's never gone away to the point where Billie Eilish is peak goth, isn't she? Really, what a very gothic so, young, yeah. young, young sort of pop star. She's not mm. exactly the sort of a Taylor Swift or even an Ariana Grande, is she? She's very, you know, she's she, her her album artwork's very gothic. Also, I had not realised that there is a goth in uh, in Coronation Street now, apparently called Nina that... Lucas. Yes, I didn't watch, I didn't watch it for some time, but um. But uh, I haven't watched it for some time, I mean. But uh, yes, there is a goth called Nina Lucas in Coronation Street, who is the niece of a cafe writer Roy Cropper, taken in after her sickly father, Richard Lucas, passed away in 2019. So uh, did not realise that she'd mm. appeared in this. Um, so so it's, it's funny to know that... that what is it about goth that endures? Maybe it's the fact that I don't know. Death and darkness always feel quite inevitable. Perhaps post-pandemic, you know, the darker side of life, perhaps that's what made, what's given goth a bit of a resurgence. I'm not sure. And also... We live in a world now, we've talked about this with, with teen culture previously, that is just so fractured, isn't it? There aren't mm. really tribes anymore. There mm. isn't the music press. There isn't Top of the Pops. There isn't things you can coalesce around or rebel against. But everyone knows what goths are, don't they? Everyone knows how to be a goth, how to look like a goth. And you will always stand out, even if there is no pervading culture to, to sort of, you know, go against. You're always going to look like nobody else on the bus, aren't you? And I can very much see the appeal of goth in that sense i've never quite had the heart to do it but i love the music i love the sense of culture that it the subculture that it brings and actually i have to say for all that goths look terrifying at times every goth i've ever met has always been incredibly friendly (laughs) 
<laughs> and working often quite inebriated, I must say, but always very friendly and very sort of um very welcoming of their fellow people. So hooray for goths. I'm very pro. I imagine many people have previously made this connection. In fact, probably I'm way behind the times, but I've been recently reading about 18th century, uh, the 18th century romantics. And I'm, it's clear to me that you mm. can trace Goths back to there. They, they were, they were, everybody was hooked on opium and laudanum and uh, Baudelaire and his scary mm. poetry and philosophy. And indeed, Baudelaire should have been a warning to others to lay off the laudanum because he died indeed. after taking too much of stuff. He was only 46. I like this quote from John Robb, who you mentioned earlier, a mm. lovely chap, as you say, um, whose book, The Art of Darkness, all about gods, as we mentioned, is published um, on March 23rd, a few days away from when we're recording this. And I, I just like this quote from him. The dark energy is everywhere and it enthralls us. And what was once cult is now mainstream. And mm, I think that's, that's very well put. That's typically yes, yeah. put, I think. And particularly when you think about the the bands and the musicians, mm. like you say, Susie Sue now headlining at Latitude, which is wonderful, and the 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 Cure, um, who have become one of the biggest bands that's ever come out of England, um, and National so, Treasures, I think, indeed. as well, in an alternative so. way. So thanks very much for listening this week. Lovely to have you along. Echo ten- Terence's sentiments as always. Possibly not featuring Mark <laughs> Boland's poetry or even Susie Sue uh, is Juliet's radio shows this week. Yes, very true. I mean, I couldn't feature Susie Sue or poetry on Lost for Words because that is instrumentals. You can hear that from mm. 8 to 9 on a Thursday evening or 11 to 12 on a Tuesday morning or on Mixcloud for the station noiseboxradio.com. So you can listen via noiseboxradio.com or search on Mixcloud for Noisebox Radio. Alternatively, if you like your sounds a little bit laid back than the occasional overwroughtness of Bolin, Smith, Sue, Sue et al. You can listen to Smooth Sailing on Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on again on noiseboxradio.com where it's a uh, yacht rock and and plain, easy, relaxing, uplifting sailing a go go. To play us out, Jules, a wonderful track that went to number one all around the world from an album that went to number one uh, all around the world last year. Indeed, and I only listened to it last week. So, uh, again, <laughs> finger on the post, surfing the zeitgeist as always. I'm always one beat behind. Um, so I've always very much approved of Taylor Smith, Swift as an artist and as a person. She always comes across as someone who manages to get that balance right. She's clearly very shrewd, isn't she? And very, very switched on, but also manages to come across as a really pleasant, considered, mm. sort of dignified. I mean, when you see her on pictures at Red Carpet, at award shows everyone else is wearing yes. stuff that's completely eye-poppingly wild and she just always looks really nice and I just think she always just seems to carry herself in a very elegant way she's fam- become famous for her kindness to fans um, her supporting of people I have a lot of time for her she seems like a class act I've always quite enjoyed the music of hers I've heard but I've never really I've always enjoyed it, but I've never quite fully connected with it and fully really appreciated the kind of widescreen nature of her genius and how everything she does, she just does perfectly. She can do what she likes and she seems to have this incredible savant ability just to be fantastic or whatever she fancies turning her hand to. Um, Midnight's is an album, like you say, went to number one all around the world. Um, I think it broke the record at one point. Like it had like t- she had ten of the songs in like the American top ten or top twenty or something. It was enormously successful, and I love this track particularly. It really grabs me just because she's I think was particularly written off as a bit of a kind of a country pop lightweight star early on. And the lyrics of this are particularly arresting. I think this kind of small hours depression uh, again wrapped up in this bow of just unimpeachable, incredibly sophisticated pop. I think this is great. From the album Midnight, this is Taylor Swift and Antihero. I have this thing where I get older but just never wiser Midnight's become my afternoons When my depression works the graveyard shift all of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room I should not be left to my own devices They come with prices and vices I in crisis all this time. I wake up screaming from dreaming one day I'll watch
to a Parish Council production.